You're listening to Blue Yonder with your hosts, Jim Jones, Peter Street, and introducing Aaron Hubbard. Doing this thing or not? Right now. Hello, hello. Welcome to a special late night, 1.46 in the morning edition of Blue Yonder. I am Aaron Hubbard and... I'm Jim Jones. And uh, we just had a very awesome first day at PAX. Um, before, without much further ado, uh, one of the highlights of the day for me was interviewing Steve Jackson of Steve Jackson Games. Uh, he of GURPS and Zombie Dice, Cthulhu Dice, Munchkin uh, fame. And I actually was pretty pleased at the way the interview turned out. How, what do you think, Jim? Uh, I've not heard all of it yet, but I thought what I did hear was interesting, and I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of it. All right. So, uh, like I said, I want to, you know, for the people obviously probably more interested in hearing what Steve has to say than, than us jackasses. So I'm going to kick it to this interview. I apologize a little bit for audio quality. I actually thought it turned out better than it could have, but you do hear a little bit of uh, walla, walla, walla in the background. That's because we recorded this right outside of Steve Jackson booth. Uh, and so, you you know, we were right in the middle of the tabletop area. There was thousands of geeks playing tabletop. So you do hear that some of that background flavor, but you know I, it's definitely easy to listen to, and uh, hope you enjoy it. For those of our listeners who aren't familiar with Steve Jackson games, because you know gamers sometimes silo up. You've got the video gamers, the tabletop. I kind of do both, and we cover both on our show. But uh, for those that don't follow the tabletop scene as close, uh, could you kind of describe your company and the, the products that you produce? We are a pretty general game entertainment company. We do all kinds of stuff, but we're extremely weak in digital and trying to get better. What we're best known for is board and card games. Munchkin is our big hit right now. In the past, we have done GURPS, and we're continuing to support GURPS. We have Illuminati, Car Wars, Ogre, Hacker, I think those are the big ones. Did I miss anything? Sounds good. Um, you know, when I think of tabletop games, I think of pl- uh, people of being the kind of two camps. You've got the DMs that like to create and do the storytelling, and you got the players that just like to play, and some are both. Um, as a game developer and designer, do you find that you're also do you enjoy actually playing the games, or do you actually get more of a thrill out of the the design aspect of it? Well. I have to admit that I like designing more than I like playing, because that's really where my passion is. But if I didn't like playing them, it would be hard to design a good one. So you need both. So playing's kind of the gateway there. Do you find in the, I imagine, in the game development process, there's so much playtesting. Do you find that throughout the development process and playtesting, that it kind of destroys your ability to just sit back and enjoy your own games? When it does, it means that game needs more work. If it's not still fun after the nth play, 
then we need to work on it some more. Or we need to put it on the shelf and say, you know, that one didn't have legs. I like that. Um, you know, you're well known, as you mentioned, for many different types of games. You've got on one end of the scale, GURPS, this you know massive, complicated rule systems for role-playing games. And then you got the other extreme end, games like Zombie Dice, uh, that are very flexible, casual, uh, you know, fun to play for f- 5, 10, 15 minutes and then, and then go on and do something else. Do you find, as a developer, you enjoy working on the complexity side or the casual side, or are they just different challenges? They're different challenges. Uh, it's sure easier to finish a simple one, but you can do so much more with something complicated. I like doing them both. After I've done a couple of simple ones, then I want to do something hard and vice versa. Or, at, or, or after I've done a quarter of a hard one, I want to do something simple. <laughs> so yeah, One of my friends that uh, is a uh, project manager has a philosophy where if he's working on a big project, he likes to have a couple side projects to kind of break the monotony. Do you find you're doing the same kind of philosophy when you're designing a large product? Do you kind of take breaks and go and do a casual game? Or do you like to just push through it and, and then schedule a couple of casual games to give yourself a break? Well, not on account of monotony, but just because of the time playtesting takes and so on, I have to have several balls in the air all at once, or I'd be doing nothing while I waited for playtest results to come back. I got you. So since it's kind of, you know, non-sequential or you, you, you get the, you know, progression on this side of things going, and then when you're kicked over to the playtesters, you've got another project that you can dig your, your teeth into. Because you never know until it's been exposed to playtest how well it's really going. You may... You may come back and go, ha-ha, nailed it, and you may come back and say, no, back to the shop. Have you ever had an experience where you personally found the game that you designed clever and fun, but then when you got it to playtesting, it just ended up being a dud? I wouldn't say a dud, but I've sure found things where it wasn't as clever as I thought it was, or where the playtesters immediately made it cleverer. A whole lot of the... The practice of game design is paying attention to the playtesters. One thing I'm really interested in is, uh, you know, gameplay mechanics and kind of the science behind it. And I was listening to just this on the way to the the uh, convention. Uh, one of my weekly podcasts, listened to Personal Arrogance. They were discussing the difference between like German uh, tabletop design and American. And one host said that he felt like in German game design they come up with mechanics. And then find a, fil- a flavor that fits the mechanics. And he said American design feels like it more, you get an idea for this flavor, this type of game, and then you invent mechanics on the fly uh, to fit that. Do you feel like you do uh, lean towards one approach more than the other? Yeah, I think that uh, whoever said that absolutely nailed the big difference between the basic Euro and the basic American philosophy, except I'd go farther and say... Uh, that the Euro style is often to come up with a really clever mechanic and then not necessarily find something that, find a theme that fits it, but, but find whatever theme is floating by and drape it loosely over that, that frame, uh, which, which really hurts my brain. It's not that I don't work that way, it's that I can't work that way. I always tell the story first and then come up with, with mechanics to support it. 
Now, it's not necessarily simulationist mechanics. It might be really abstract mechanics. The mechanics of zombie dice have nothing to do with the actuality of chasing a victim down and ripping his living brain out of his skull. No, you're rolling little dice on the table. But you're you're telling the story, and the story came first. It was, I'm going to do a game about zombies where you're the zombie. And then, okay, now what do we do? It's the story is first. Just to say that, because I've observed as I watch people play Zombie Dice, and I've hosted a couple games in my home, and I, I, I usually bring it to cons because it's a good line game, people kind of really get into character with that game. Even though it's very abstract, they kind of enjoy getting into the headspace of a zombie. So to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of the Euro versus American difference, you know, uh, in Germany, tabletop gaming is uh, almost a national pastime. Um, when you compare the state of tabletop here in the United States versus Germany, uh, how do you think the two compares as tar- uh, in terms of popularity? Do you think the will ever get that popular? And do you do you find did your game sell well overseas? Uh, last question first. Yes, very good overseas. Uh, we have a lot of sales, especially in Germany and France, and the Asian markets are picking up. Um, and then Italy has some very, very creative uh, game publishers. Um, will we ever get to the stage of Germany? I really don't know. Uh, I hear people talking about World of Warcraft as a family thing these days, and that, that gives me hope. Yeah, I was talking to a couple of guys last night, and their their family gets together online and plays World of Warcraft. They have this, this five-member adventuring party across two generations, and they go out and kill things. Uh, and sometimes there's some crossover there, too, because World of Warcraft spawned the, you know, uh, kind of a, the tabletop card game, too, so sometimes the ideas cross-pollinate. Well, and of course, World of Warcraft is... Very, very, very derivative of uh, the Warhammer. So, like, very, very, very. Uh, but they were first to market with a good product, and they won. Are you familiar? You uh, the Penny Arcade Expo. Have you seen the comic that uh, they made uh, on that very subject? Yes. I thought that was pretty funny. Just for the listeners, uh, Gabe, who's kind of the tabletop neophyte, uh, 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 heard about the uh, Warhammer series coming out with an MMO and he's like saying they're ripping Warcraft off and Tycho said you just need to stop right there and goes on his epic monologue of how he's going to slaughter him if he doesn't um, you're famous or maybe infamous for battling with the uh, Secret Service over the cyberpunk flavored version of GURPS that you released in the late 80s was it late 80s or early 90s uh, I think it was uh, March 1990 when uh, the raid happened okay um, do you find that, you know, today's political climate, there's a lot of fear about, uh, you know, terrorism. I've actually seen on the video game side, pe- the developers change or, you know, rebrand video games because they're afraid of offending people or, or, or going there. Do you find as a developer, with your experience dealing, you know, with the government either out of ignorance or stupidity or, you know, how, how government operates... Do you find that you ever shy away with dealing from subject matter, or do you, are you aware of any other developers that are kind of hesitant to touch on things? Um, I'm not. I've never talked to anybody who is personally, but I read the same papers you do, and I know that, yes, some people shy away from politically charged subjects. I kind of like them. Uh, I do, too. I like to be provocative. If you listen to our podcast, you know that. 
Um, how well do you uh, is uh, Steve Jackson Games doing in the kind of current climate? Do you find that uh, you know as the the economy goes down, sales goes down, or do you find a tabletop's recession proof? Well, claiming to be recession proof is a good way to be struck by lightning or something, but. Our past few years have been very, very good, and I'd like to think that it's because tabletop gaming is a better value for the money than going out to the movies or so on. The the tabletop game will last over and over and over again. Of course, nobody goes out to the movies anymore because you can bring the movies to you, so that's now a bad example. But, yeah, tabletop gaming is cheap, repeatable entertainment, and our last few years have been very strong. I would like to think that if the economy picked up, that would be good for us again because people who are in the, the habit of buying games now, you know, it couldn't be bad to let them have more money. It couldn't be bad to have the economy pick up in small towns where there might only be one game store and that store is struggling because we know it's bad for us any time a game store goes out of business. So the short answer is we have done just fine in the reduced economy, but I want to see it come back. I think that would be better for everybody. Uh, Yeah. Um, Let's see. You're going to turn. You mentioned that uh, you felt like the company is kind of weak on digital things, but you do have a couple of uh, initiatives that uh, you know use technology. Um, I want to talk about those a little bit. Uh, you know, you've had your warehouse 23 up, your online presence where you can go buy all your products, and I know that uh, you've also got the E23, which does uh, direct uh, sale of digital uh, copies of the materials that you guys publish. How long have you been doing that, and how have you seen the sales uh, adopt? Versus, you know, as, as do you see that that kind of like directly one to one? Someone buys, you, you make one digital sale, it takes away one digital sale from paper. Do you see them complement? Just kind of talk about how that's doing for for your company. Okay, it's very worthwhile. Uh, we've been doing direct sales almost since the company started, so almost thirty years. And that's just necessary because some people live where there are no game stores. Uh, when the Internet came along, we set up the the Warehouse 23 structure. But even before that, we, we, we had a mail order business back when it was called mail order. Uh, for a while, we were operating in almost a vacuum of good online game stores. There were online discounters out there but they were they were kind of fly by night that has changed there are a lot of good reliable online game sources out there now in response to that we cut back a lot of our third party offerings in warehouse 23 but we continue to just sell our own stuff without discounting because we don't want to compete with the brick and mortar stores um, and if people go to a brick-and-mortar store and buy our stuff instead of buying it direct from us, that's fine. That's supporting a store. So, you know, we uh, we do it both as a service and because it brings in some marginal money from, from people who otherwise wouldn't be able to find our stuff. Uh, E23 is more recent, and we would have been a first adopter with the digital delivery of PDFs if the coding process had gone better, but it hadn't. We were inventing the wheel, and first we invented it with five sides, and then we invented it with no axle, and by the time we finally got it out, we were not 
early to market. And today we are we are even among digital delivery setups run by game companies. We're no bigger than third. And I I have no idea how much is just going straight through the Apple Store and things like that. Probably billions and billions. Nevertheless, it's worth doing. In particular, it lets us do an awful lot of support for the GURPS role-playing system, both bringing old things back into print and doing original things in PDF format. Uh, the role-playing market isn't what it used to be, the, the pencil and paper role-playing market. But we're still providing an awful lot of support for GURPS that way, even though we now only publish one or two original hardbacks a year. Lots of stuff comes out that is only in PDF form, and right now I'd say it's likely it only ever will be in PDF form. You know, the the thing that exploded on the uh, industry uh, the last year is uh, tablet PCs, and you know you've seen netbooks. Have you seen as the hardware gets more convenient for gamers to have on the table? You know, for a long time, if you had PDF versions of stuff, you either probably printed it out, or you had the you know it, it, you had the complaint that the DM is kind of chained to his 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 he's playing the laptop and not the players. Have you found a, a, a kind of a ride along increase as tablets and netbooks are more adopted? Do you see the digital stuff uh, uh, selling um, better? I expect to see that, and I haven't yet, at least ours. But I think that's the way it's going. Well, it's probably a price point, too. And the iPads first came out, they are like 700 bucks. Now they're launching the new version. I saw just today, it was like $450. As it gets lighter on the gamer's wallet, you'll probably see more adoption of that. And you don't need an iPad to read a PDF. I mean, you can read it on a Kindle, right? Yep, yep. Kindle's probably a really good way. Um you know, I've done a little dabbling in game design myself on an amateur basis, and one thing I've been impressed by is the kind of cottage industry that sprung up to support these homegrown games. I mean, you can basically take PDFs of artwork, and, and they'll ship you finished cards and board games. Um, how much easier is it to release like a professional-level type of product now than it was when you first got your start? Everything has changed. Everything is different. Um but the digital revolution, to uncoin a phrase, hasn't taken away the need to have a good game in there. It's a whole lot easier to make it beautiful now. And if you're using Word, then you can get your spelling right and even get some help with grammar. But if it, if it sucked before, then, then all of these tools on the net won't make it unsuck. So... It sounds like it's almost made people uh, make shinier crap. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and sometimes we see that coming to market, uh, and that's that was the thing that choked D twenty to death. Is it was it was so easy to do stuff that everybody did stuff, including a lot of people who shouldn't have, and that choked some good startups who were producing really nice stuff, but they got lost in the sea of brown sludge washing up on the tide the shores of role playing to coin a really ugly phrase uh, yeah I like that I think the listeners will enjoy that um, have you seen any viable or fun kind of garage games have sprung out do you see that as any form of competition for yourself well if it is then it's because it's good stuff and you did see some really quality companies come out of uh, the, the D20 revolution I mean I think of Green Ronin right off the bat I mean, it's just so, so it's it's not that there was nothing good there. 
um, but overall, overall it was rough. Oh, I hope we're always going to have new things coming up to keep me on my toes. Um, how tech heavy do you see yourself getting at Steve Jackson Games? Um, you know, there's a lot of new technology like the Microsoft Surface. I saw some eye popping demos for D and D using that technology in Settlers of Catan. Um, you know, they got mobile apps for games now. Do you see yourself wanting to get more into that, or you want to stick to straight pen and paper, or uh, you know, where do you see your guys' path on that? We deeply fear the soul-stealing demons of silicon and crystal. Um, you know, also, I'm not a coder. Uh, no, we have an app out for Zombie Dice. So we have a support app out, the Munchkin Level Counter. We're doing other things, but it, transitioning isn't trivial. Um, Did you say you want to transition? Or do you like the pen and paper? That would be a hell yes, I want to transition. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> Pardon me. It's not that, yeah, yeah, go sterilize that mic now. It's not that uh, I want to ditch uh, tabletop gaming because I don't. Dice games are always going to be fun. Phil and I came up with a new dice game on the ride into uh, Boston, and we now have to submit it to a little real-world playtesting. Uh, but there are so many neat, wonderful things that can be done with uh, with digital. And uh, yeah, I was talking with somebody last night at the Maiden Massachusetts party, and they were they were asking all kinds of probing questions, and uh, really made me realize that there are, are sort of four choices here. Uh, I can learn to code myself, haha, fat chance, or I can hire a really good producer which is what I've been saying for years I needed to do, or I can try to acquire a small studio, or I can throw up my hands and be acquired. It, it takes a big, skilled team to do a good digital game. Not as big as as did for a while, but I can remember when you, you had had the, the auteurs. I mean, you, Richard Garriott did a great part of the, the first Ultima himself. I think he did all of a Calabeth himself. And you, then you got to where it took teams of many hundreds, and it still does for some things. But now you have good apps that are being done by one or two people. They are one or two hellaciously talented people, but it's still doable. But then apps are another thing where you have the brown sludge effect. There are so many really, really lame apps out there that sometimes good ones can go without being noticed. Not everything automatically goes viral just because it's good. Speaking of going viral and uh, you know getting noticed, this kind of uh, leads me to the next question: Is how do you guys leverage social media, and do you find that it's actually effective for promoting your products and keeping uh, your audience engaged? It's effective. Uh, it's sometimes hard to judge its effectiveness because the people who are usually best and most enthusiastic about using social media tend to value the opinions most of the people who they talk to via social media. So you don't get a reading on all of the people who aren't paying any attention at all to Twitter. Because, you know, well, why can't they get on and tweet that they don't do Twitter? Sorry, got you're missing a point here. Uh, social media are great. Face-to-face is great. If social media were everything, I wouldn't be here. I would be home tweeting. Um, but we are attempting to make appropriate use of social media. We do not yet have a full-time community manager, but we will. It's a big step in, the, in, in that direction. Um, 
How do you think the tabletop gaming is going to evolve in the next five, ten years? I'm sure that there will be offshoots that are cross-fertilizing with, with digital stuff. I, I fully expect that there are board games out there that I don't know about where you're using the barcode reader on your, your iPhone to read cards and things like that. If there aren't now, there probably will be next Wednesday. Um, but I'm not sure that'll be the mainstream because that's a great gimmick, but... But is it? does it make it any faster and easier to play? No. It's only worthwhile if something like that can give you depth that you don't have. Um, the trend over the past ten years has been toward games that were more beautiful or played faster or both. Um, I don't see any reason for that trend to reverse, but then you never do until they do. I... I think that's a real good question, but all I can do is point to the way it's been and say it might keep going on that way. I think that the trend toward more beauty is great. The trend toward simplicity, toward the shorter attention span, that's not so healthy. I mean, it's let me do things like Cthulhu dice, which you sit down and play, and then three minutes later is want to play again. Uh, That's cool. I don't know if there would have been a market for that ten years ago. At the same time, there are games that I really used to enjoy that I can no longer, not only can I no longer find people to play them with, I don't even want to play them myself. My own attention span is reduced. Now, does that mean that I've become healthier, better educated, and pickier in how I spend my time? Or does it mean that I've had too much sugar? I don't know. You're telling me you don't have a crystal ball. You can't tell what's going to happen in the next 10 years. Right. No, I, I have a crystal ball back at the booth, but it has a brain floating in it. And, and um, Well, other than a, a kick-ass new dice game that I've heard is going to be released uh, sometime soon, what else can we expect from Steven Jackson Games in the near future? Okay, point the mic at my shirt so everybody can get a good... No, it doesn't work that way, does it? Okay. Uh, I'm wearing an Axe Cop shirt. Uh, today we announced that we have the license to do Munchkin Axe Cop. Those of you who have not uh, read Axe Cop, it's www.axecop.com. It's a a very intellectual, visionary strip about uh, law enforcement. No, no, it's about a cop who makes Judge Dredd look like a wimp. He has an axe and he cuts off bad guys' heads with it. Read the strip. Uh our, uh, I, I used to call our rival cast, but I guess they've evolved into our brother slash sister cast. Uh, Personal Arrogance actually interviewed the uh, creator of Axe Cop, and uh, that's pretty exciting for you guys. It's it's uh, uh, it's it's a hell of a strip. It's a great strip, and it it fits with Munchkin beautifully. I mean, uh, when when the inquiry came as to whether we'd be interested, my first reaction was. We don't do licenses, and Munchkin doesn't need a license because when we do a Munchkin game, it it does just fine by itself. And then, you know, after a, about one minute, I was, but this would be perfect. <laughs> you know, maybe, you know it, it's not like no licenses was a rule. It was just we always said no before. This time we're saying yes. Were you familiar with the material before you actually got the proposition? Oh, yes. 
Um, well, that's about all the questions I had. You've been very generous with, with your time. I've enjoyed uh, talking with you. Uh, thanks for your time, Steve Jackson. Thank you for yours. Uh, once again, thank you very much, Steve Jackson from Steve Jackson Games. Uh, appreciate the time that he spent. He gave us almost a half hour out of his busy schedule. Um, appreciate also Phil Reed at uh, Steven Jackson Games uh, for setting this up. Uh, he uh, helped us arrange it and schedule it and uh, was sitting there as uh, Steve and I were talking. Uh, all right, Jim, let's talk about PAX. Um, we got here Thursday night, a little late on the flight. We immediately hit the pokey crawl. Uh, you want to talk uh, the listeners through that experience? Wow. Uh, pokey crawl is an event for me. Uh, <laughs> pokey crawl is an event. And uh, second year we've done it, obviously, second year we've been at PAX East. Uh, this year I took it a little overboard and ended up getting hammered, hammered at the bars. Uh, don't remember how I got home, actually. <laughs> um, apparently, we took a taxi. You guys threw me in one. Uh, your credit card page. Uh, oh, my, my credit card was left in the bar, and they had to go in and get it for me because I wasn't allowed back in because I was too drunk. Uh, it was a good time. Good time. I got a story because... Ian was very smooth last year with the ladies, and uh, he's you know obviously had some facility talking with him this week this year. Um, I kind of uh, pulled one over on him though. Uh, when we were at the bar doing the pokey crawl, he was uh, chatting up some lady. I didn't know what the circumstances were. Looked like things were hitting off, and uh, she kind of like left, and I thought a flirtatious manner. So, man, I don't know if I should tell the story, but I'm going to do it anyway. As she left, I was standing by Ian, and as she walked past me, I smacked her on the ass. And then I like, I kind of like rotated around the corner, Sam Fisher, Splinter Cell style. And she turned around, and I guess uh, not too happy with Ian, thinking that he smacked her on the ass, and there might have been a bouncer involved and a threat of ejection at the facility. What's hysterical is Ian didn't know. So he's like, what the hell? And he was telling me the story today at PAX. We were at the tabletop just playing some Dominion, um, which is a hot game, by the way. It's like Magic the, the Gathering, only without all the magic bullshit of the customizable card game. Um, but he was telling his story, and he's like, I, you know, this girl like just wigged out on me last night, and it's like all this, and I didn't know what's going on. I'm like... Oh, I like totally smacked her ass and then blamed you on it. So, I sorry, I thought, you know, that would be something that would have been funny and I apologize, I guess I'm a pig. But uh uh my friend my friend Jim here was buying you were buying for the for better basically anybody. You had open tab. Uh what what do you think did where do you where did you go wrong, Jim? Uh, my main mistake, and this is typically my main mistake when I get too drunk, is that I was drinking too fast. Too fast. Uh, my frame is not the frame of a man who drinks eight shots in two hours. <laughs> and so when I do that, I get a little too drunk. That was my main problem. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I thought I was matching you shot for shot, but like, I turned my back, and you were buying more shots. And you know, you, you were buying stranger shots. And here's the thing. I think your final bar tab was like $120 or thereabouts. Uh, I actually think you got let, let 
down a little bit easy because I think you bought way more shots than that. I think there was some creative accounting uh, by the barkeeps there. Uh, you, you agree, disagree, or what? Dead silence for Jim Jones here. Well, Bernie Madoff was the uh, bartender, so who who knows what he set up there? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it came out of a pension of someone. <laughs> um, I I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, it was crazy last night. Um, this morning that totally knocked me on my ass, took me out of action. I woke up with a wicked hangover, so I didn't get to PAX until like 6 p.m. because I was in bed most of the day trying to recover. Got some pizza, got some coffee, some water. Um, so I showed up way, way late, but when I did get there, uh, first thing I did is I headed immediately for the tabletop area. Cause as I said before, my goal here is to play games, socialize, have fun, um, not necessarily do a whole lot of panels. Uh, and I sat down and I played this c- currently unreleased game called Munchkin Zombies by Steve Jackson Games. Uh, it's the latest iteration on Munchkin. And I, I am brand new to Munchkin. I've never played it. I didn't know anything about it sitting down. Um, And they explained it to me. They explained what is a very complex game. A lot of rules. um, A lot of rules that aren't, like, immediately obvious. Um, Like, the cards. they'll, They'll have, like, different types of cards. But, like, I couldn't actually... I didn't have the rules in front of me, so it was hard to tell what was going on. But in, like, ten minutes... They explained the basics of the game and got us all up and running. There were several other people there who hadn't played it before and several who had played Munchkin. Um, and I had a blast with this. It actually it started out really slow when we were trying to learn the mechanics. And, and nobody was really messing with anyone. Nobody was doing much but playing cards on their side of the board. And the whole thing about this game is you are encouraged to cheat. You are encouraged to buddy fuck. You are encouraged to do all the things that you would not normally do in a game. Um, and that's when the game really becomes fun. Because the first, we had an epic, epic battle. Um, it, what, what started out as one monster on the table, um, that's fighting a guy who can handily beat the monster, eventually turned into, like seven or eight monsters on the board because everybody was trying to fuck this guy like he would he would handily beat the monster but then somebody would play a monster booster to boost the power of the monster up above this guy's reach and then somebody would say well i'll help you out if you give me a certain amount of treasures from it uh from the battle and so they'd have enough power to beat it again and then people would play more monsters and more boosters to fuck these guys (laughs) and it was just this epic round of like six all six people at the table jumping in and throwing monsters and boosters and power-ups and all these things down on the on the board. It was so much fun. Like, that's where the game really hits its stride. Uh, but, yeah, I, I will probably pick up a game, a copy of this game tomorrow because I had that much fun with it. Um, and then I'll just run through the rest of what I did that day. Um, I went to the Protoman concert, which was awesome. Uh, they really put on a rocking show. And I went to the bars, I guess, with the personal arrogance, Jesse from Personal Arrogance and Levi, and had a blast. Pretty cool guys. 
Yeah, I gotta say, I don't know that I can I can two minutes hate on our podcast rivals anymore. That we've I shared two buckets of beer and some epic uh, uh, shit difficulty stories. Uh, something we, we Jesse and I bonded over the fact that I guess Eric is a difficult shitter and has been known to stop, clog a toilet or two. And Ace Jace, that we've talked about several times on the cast, takes epic shits. Like, I just likened it tonight that imagine someone take a Louisville Slugger baseball bat, cut the handle off. Now, imagine this is a turd. Imagine that it's shoved down the, the shitter hole at a 45-degree angle with two inches of it sticking out the surface of the water like some kind of sunken battleship. Okay? This is the mess that, that Jace, the Ace Jace left me one night, and my dad I, – I couldn't plunge it down. It had the consistency of an oak tree, and I couldn't flush it. I actually had to butcher this turd up with a coat hanger wire, especially 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 constructed, uh, you know, shit abortion tool. Yeah, it's a turd buster. I had to slice that thing up into manageable chunks would go down. So we like had an instant bond and. You know, we have our mutual love of getting shit-faced, so uh, I got to say, uh, pretty cool guys. Um, they did, uh, I played, the uh, Ian and I in the open gaming area played uh, this game called Carcassonne, I think is how you pronounce it. Carcassonne. Carcassonne. And he schooled my ass in that because I've never played it before, and we played Dominion where he also schooled my ass. Um, something about not explaining all the rules to the newbie right, I don't know. But, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to do here in PAX is I wanted to play more games. And I played more games today than I played in the previous two PAXs. I got to say, I got there bright and early. Uh, We played a lot of our new uh, Jehovah's Witness, the Society game in line. We got a little bit of interaction with folks. Uh, Gave the guys a personal arrogance a copy. Um, They seemed to appreciate the artwork and the humor in the game. And... And it did strike a couple of good conversations with both the PA guys and uh, personal arrogance guys, not PN Arcade guys, and uh, Ian. And that's the whole point. I want this game to be provocative. I want it to start these conversations. And uh, tomorrow during the Make a Strip panel, I'm going to try to pitch this thing to Jerry. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I don't. I'm very sensitive about seem, seeming too promotey, but since this is a labor of love and. It kind of dovetails with some experiences I had at PAX and, and my life experiences and the fact that I know Jerry grew up in a kind of a fundamentalist religion-style household. His mother was very disapproving of his gaming habits and, you know, thought he was going to be damned. And she's eventually got over it. Of course, my mother hasn't. I'm hoping that uh, I can parlay that and, and I want to gift a copy of this deck to, to Jerry. So that's my goal for tomorrow. Uh, I gotta say ditto on the Protoman concert. Um, that's the only one I wanted to see because I've seen Metroid Metal, I've seen Frontal Lot three times now. Uh, but Protoman was awesome. Uh, Panther, who's the, who's the lead singer that does the Protoman and Mega Man and Dr. Light parts, was a little bit off tonight, and I think that's because they've been touring the shit out of the East Coast and and the Midwest of late, and he just couldn't get as screamy as he probably wanted to. Or maybe he's just changing it up. I don't know. What do you think of that aspect? Uh, Yeah, I definitely felt like he toned it down because that was one of the few songs that I did catch last year. 
um, the vengeance. vengeance. Yeah, and he definitely toned it down this year, um, and especially from the album version. The album version, he is top of his lungs, high pitch, screaming this thing, um, and this time he didn't. And I don't know. I mean, I understand that it's hard to recreate some of that stuff live, especially when you're doing it week after week after week. Uh, just tears up your voice. I mean, people get what neck cancer from that stuff, right? <laughs> So, yeah, that's my opinion. Uh, I also want to say that I was not really excited about Jane McGonigal's, uh, who's an uh, avant-garde gamer on uh, Twitter, if you want to follow her, a keynote address. Because, I, I, you know, I, again, I was familiar with her I Love Bees work, uh, social gaming and all, all alternative reality gaming, prelude to Halo 2 and some other stuff that she's done. And I knew she wrote this book and was on the Colbert Report. But she actually... Uh, you know, very attractive, very engaging, very entertaining and positive look at how gaming has impacted her life and how she had some actual science that gamers live longer, can be better problem solvers and, uh, you know, are healthier and are able to do, you know, more higher cognitive type functions. Um, she called her talk to, I think it was called the Epic life-changing, death-defying monster cast. Um, So life-changing was like the positive aspects of gamers. The death-defying was how it can help kind of heal and make you even live longer. And the monster epic part was the fact that we uh, did, we set a Guinness World Record. I guess there's like under 5,000 people before I've done this MMO thumb wrestling where people, like, you know, get more than one pe- person in on the thumb wrestling deal. So, it's like, imagine if you're doing standard thumb wrestling. But then, but Ian has something to say. Hey, everybody. I'm, just, I'm too shy to say it. All right. We're actually going to be interviewing Ian. He's got an interesting character. He's got uh, former Omega Knot. Uh, the, the, it's, it's like a Marine. You never retire. You're... you're, you're so, so the Omega motto, according to Ian, is "Don't hit me." Maybe, maybe not the face. No, just not the face. Okay, declare further clarify that. Uh, um, oh shit! I just got impromptu casting. So anyway, mul- massively multiplayer online thumb wrestling. It's not online; it's offline. So, like, imagine standard thumb wrestling. Now, imagine there's four or five people, like you know thumb wrestling and then with your other hand it's usually doing nothing you're joined in another node of thumb wrestlers that also have you know between two to four or five or more people thumb wrestling now imagine six or seven thousand geeks boy the tickle in my throat's come back six or seven thousand geeks all holding hands and forming this vast network across the entire keynote address space and we're thumb wrestling and uh it's pretty awesome we've set a world record so I thought her cast uh, delivered the goods. I actually almost think it was better than Will Wheaton's. Uh, Ian says he agrees with that. So uh, we, I unfortunately didn't get to do a lot of demo hall st- uh, demo stuff today. Uh, by the time I got done with Steve Jackson and Dud had lunch and did some f- free play, the lines were too long to actually finish. But tomorrow they got playable Duke Nukem. They got playable Portal 2, which is shrouded in secrecy. It's this black booth where... You know, it's because all these things are, like, set up like panels, like almost cubicles. Well, 
you have to have a portal. Ian points out you have to have a portal gun to get into the damn thing. There's no door. That's not true. There is a door, but those those seams, the gaps in the booth, they've actually duct taped over, so you cannot even get a glimpse of the gameplay unless you are inside the black obsidian room of Portal. So we're excited about that. There's also this other game called Child of Eden, Children of Eden, that is like uh, a connect base kind of trippy. It's, it's very... Uh, I sat there and watched the demo of this for about five minutes while some dude was up there playing it. Um, and it's very – think Res um, and yeah. think Res controlled by the Kinect. And think think playing Res in the Iron Man suit. <laughs> That's really what this is because you use one hand to, like, target things and you use the other hand to, like, fire and, and shoot off your weapons and stuff. And it you you feel like Iron Man while you're playing it, I'd imagine. I thought it was like – because, like, okay, so you hold out one hand, you can use both hands, and you kind of, like, turn – the target, then lock on, and once you lock on, you thrust your hand forward, and that actually shoots a beam of light to destroy the thing that you're you're aiming at. So I want to play that. Um, I got, got Duke Nukem. Oh, controversy with Duke Nukem. Uh, as you know, uh, we talked about this on the Dick Wolves cast, which, by the way, Dick Wolves have been muzzled. I don't know. I saw no Dick Wolves. I don't know whether the enforcers are cracking skulls or they're asking people to leave or what, but I did not hear anything in the Q&A. I've not seen a single Dick Wolf t-shirt. Um, I need to follow up the, the, the Team Rape Twitter account to see what the hell is going on with that. But they've muzzled the Dick Wolves here, which I'm kind of glad to see because uh, my position was you kind of like a dick at this point if you wear a Dick Wolf shirt. Um, but uh, there is some controversy because, as you know, PAX has a no strict no booth babe policy. Uh. They relax that a little bit with like, okay, if you're cosplaying like Chung Lee and you're wearing a short skirt, then that's they don't consider that, uh, you know, a booth babe. Well, and people of course can attending can be as slutty as they want, but uh, at the at the Duke Nukem Forever, the booth looks like a gentleman's club, I would call it, Mm -hmm. and they have these girls dressed up in very skimpy Catholic schoolgirl uniforms. I'm not sure I haven't played the game, obviously, if, if that's that's an official thing that the Dukes... Now, I remember the stripper strippers, and I wanted to see strippers there. That's what I when I heard that there was a controversy. But no, it's just these scantily clad uh, Catholic schoolgirl uniforms. And I guess... With, with, with very ostentatiously dangly belly button rings, as Ian is reminding me, every one of them. And uh, I heard that they had to be covered... They had to cover up in response to some complaints. Damn straight, because they. Yeah, Ian says that they were wearing the theoretical minimum. I gotta agree with him. Um, so I would actually we we as soon as we saw this like brouhaha on Twitter, we were like, damn it, we need to get over there, and we were too late to see the 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 uh, alpha version of the costume. Well, they might have actually had more strippery type costumes because did you guys hear about the? Uh, the promo event that they did for Duke Nukem, no. um, they basically took a bunch of uh, industry uh, people to a strip club and did all the promotion stuff there, all like the the showing of the game, the demo, everything like that. So maybe they had something <laughs> reminiscent of a strip club on. Yeah, Ian said that they had a stripper, not model vibe. I, I kind of got yeah, a, little, a little on the trashy side, so... 
But you know, you got you got it's Duke as Ian and I debated. It's Duke fucking Nukem. The original game had you actually tucking dollar bills and strippers g strings, and you know saying "shake it, baby." So it kind of comes with the territory. The whole thing, the fact it's a gentleman's club and all this stuff with like suited bouncers and all that stuff, um, very ornate and flashy. It's kind of comes with that territory. So kind of got mixed emotions. So that's what you got to look. We are going to have a full report on all those games. If uh, you'd like to hear us cover something, please tweet it at us at uh, twitter.com slash baldmove. You can hit our Facebook uh, at uh, – the best way it goes, baldmove.com. Hit the Facebook icon because it's a fucking mess. I don't know why they can't get us a proper URL. Or send us an email at bald, uh, blueyonder at baldmove.com. Uh, uh, before we go, I just wanted to comment on the convention center itself this time um as as opposed to the heinz convention center we're now at the boston convention center and it feels so much more comfortable in there um we have way more people here this time and yet i felt way less cramped this place is huge i mean how many people would you guess that that main theater holds Uh, (laughs) that's an awfully specific guess but 3300 is apparently the answer um, yeah, like, walking through the halls, I never feel like I'm brushing elbows with everybody as I go by. Um, the place is cool, as opposed to being stuffed into hot, sweaty rooms. They have a massive, massive tabletop area that's open, and they're... Bigger than Expo Hall for last year. Yeah, a huge, huge tabletop area. Um, the console free play area actually seemed radically smaller, didn't it? I didn't actually go in, but I looked in through the doors, and I couldn't see anything. I said it's, it's the same size as last year. Okay, so it's about the same size last year then, and split up in multiple rooms. Maybe two rooms of the same size, but yeah, it's a little cramped. Okay, but uh, basically the convention center is 100% better. I am totally pleased with the new convention center. Yeah, i got to say that this is almost Gen Con in size as far as the size of facility, and that... Uh, you know, I don't want to go and kill him for it. I thought maybe it's – there's a lot of walking. It felt like kind of being at Kings Island where you got to walk five miles between each ride. And uh, it seemed like they were short on enforcers this year. Um, it's kind of funny because they have these rent-a-cops that are observing and reporting throughout. Uh, my buddy uh, – our buddy Ian here uh, stepped out of line to throw something away, came right back. These guys, three of them rolled up tough on him saying, oh, sir, you got to get them back. This is the, the – you know, you're line cutting. And we're like like all these – because we were having this nerd conversation with some fellow gamers. They're like, no, no, he's all with us. And they're, they were really going to drag his ass back to the back line. And thank God an enforcer was there and was like, you know, look, guys, chill. This isn't the, this isn't this kind of – you know, this isn't this kind of deal – these guys are obviously cool. Nobody's complaining about it, so why don't you go fuck yourselves? So, uh, you know, good job on the enforcers. Wish there was a couple more of you because the other thing is I can't find my ass from a hole in the ground with a flashlight, both hands, GPS. Uh, had a rough time following where I'm supposed to be going and getting oriented at this huge place. But comparing to last year was hot, cramped, and fucking lines everywhere. I got to say, they are winning the, the, the PAX arm race. This this is a better facility than PAX Prime. I'm just going to put it out there. Oh, oh. All right. Action Pack Day tomorrow. Hope you tune in again. Uh, I'm going to try to get this uh, edited and uploaded for your listening pleasure. Uh, until next time, I'm Aaron Hubbard. 
And I'm Jim Jones. Ciao.